When Pastor Brian asked me to um, preach this week, I was, of course, happy to take him up on the offer. And even though I've done so a couple times uh, since we've been back at Grace, I always count it a privilege to step into the pulpit here. And as much as I really do love what I get to do in the prison, um, in a different setting, it's, it's, it's a marked difference being here and, and delivering the word. And, and it, it's just very different between doing so here and there. And the gospel's not different, and the goal is not different. But when I get to do it here, it feels a lot more like enjoying a meal with family and a lot less like delivering food to people after a disaster and so when we get to have this meal time together it's always special for me and it reminds me a lot of of as if my my parents would have asked me to prepare a special meal like for Thanksgiving or something like that. Like a lot of times in our family, we'll do gumbo on Thanksgiving and I always want to make sure I do a good job at that because it's important. Gumbo we have all the time and we get together all the time, but what we're doing there when we get together is important. It matters. And that's what this always feels like to me. Um, and And... What we bring to that occasion really does matter. If, you know, they were to add, imagine a scenario where your family asked you to do that, to prepare the meal, it wouldn't be acceptable. Well, I think everyone here would agree that it, it wouldn't be acceptable if I just bought pizzas when they were expecting something a little more special. And that's because it matters. Even though it's familiar, even though we do it all the time, it's important because... It matters. Likewise, when we gather as the body of Christ, it's it's it is really a family matter. It's it's a it's a it's a family gathering, but it's also a solemn assembly with the ultimate intention of glorifying God, of pointing to and and magnifying the holiness and goodness of the one true God, and it matters. Additionally, this morning, I find it really freeing that I get to share the word in a, in a setting where I didn't have to clear metal detectors or go behind bars or wear a, a stab vest. It, it's, it's rather freeing. And, and, and I bring that up because the freedom aspect, because, you know, because we're in between sermon series, Pastor Brian also gave me the freedom to select text and topic. And, and as you might guess, since I'm normally involved in the music, I chose to preach on the topic of worship. And let's go to the text this morning out of Exodus 32. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 8. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, to Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to steal your water. Hopefully it was here for me. (laughs) And so as I considered this text this morning... Um, I, I thought about titling it something different initially. thought about that um, impatience inspires idolatry. And I think that's because I've heard a lot of pastors kind of be really catchy in their, in their titles. And I decided against that because I read recently that good preachers always avoid alliteration. <laughs> Instead, I, I decided to just go with something simple like worship matters. And in the text today, we see that Moses was up on the mountain. He had been up there for 40 days receiving instructions from Yahweh, from the God of Israel, regarding the law and the tabernacle. And he's up there for 40 days. And if you go back and want to read chapters 23 through 31, you're going to see that he's receiving those instructions. And after these 40 days, the people of Israel are losing patience, we read. And they make it clear to to Aaron that they're ready to do it their own way. They're ready for something different. They're ready for a change. And when I read about their impatience, I'm reminded of just how little humankind has really changed since then. Waiting 40 days for something. That's, That's almost six weeks, guys. That's almost six weeks. Like today we live in a world where we won't even wait for commercials to play. So we'll either DVR something or we'll binge watch it on Netflix or pick your streaming app. Heck, I mean, we we get upset. I mean, okay, I, I get upset when my Amazon Prime shipment takes longer than two days because, heck, I pay for Prime. I want my two day shipping, right? I know that's only me, but I want to have some confession here. When our news, we, we oftentimes are slow to actually wait for the facts because we've got to get a narrative out there. So often, we will not wait for the truth because we demand the sensational. Church, we're just the same. We are these same people. We're just not on a mountain because we're in Louisiana and we've got better technology, but we are the same people. So the people go to Aaron, these impatient people go to Aaron, and they want him to build this idol, this statue, and and he actually does it. And then Aaron declares it to be the God who delivered them. 
and builds an altar and declares a feast. And then that next day, they bring offerings. And the scripture says they, they rose up to play in that Hebrew phrase there kind of has a range of meanings from anywhere from mockery to sensual pleasures for the sake of mixed company. And either of these options are, are bad, right? I mean, combine that with the fact that, that this was being ascribed. This was being declared to be worship to Yahweh. This was being declared to be worship to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had just delivered them from Egypt. And so the people are either mocking or dancing and singing to this statue or they're performing lewd acts in his presence as if he were just another pagan god. Now was it mocking or, or, or was it these unspeakable acts that they were doing? I believe it was probably closer to the worst there. But even if it wasn't, they're still singing and dancing and declaring God's deeds to this statue. No, this is, this is them returning to what they saw in Egypt. Because, see, the bull was actually one of the chief deities in Egypt. And, and I think it was far more likely that they weren't actually trying to, to leave the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, but they were rather worshiping him contrary to his prescription. They were worshiping in a way that they were more accustomed to, in a way that they found more aesthetically and sensually pleasing. It was what they were comfortable with. But if you look at, um, go back in Exodus 20 real quick, we'll look at uh, verse 1 through 4 real quick. It says that, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or, is that, or that is in the water under the earth. And then later in chapter 24, the people solemnly swear to do that. So they were literally instructed and covenanted with God to worship God God's way. Worshiping God God's way. That's really sort of the lesson of this story, both the text today and the broader, uh, the full chapter, is that God has the right to determine the terms, the boundaries, the prescriptions of our worship. Some of you who may have been in attendance on Wednesday night with Pastor Brian uh, the last, over the, I can't remember, in the spring, when we talked about worship and some of the elements of, that we include here at Grace and the reasoning and the why, um, you heard a, a phrase mentioned regarding like regulative principle or normative principle of worship. And, and, and this is sort of an in-family debate or discussion, and I'll, I'll go a little bit about what those meanings are. So, a reg- I, and I'm, I'm not going to be as um, thorough as Pastor Brian was, but to sum it up really briefly, a, a regulative approach to worship 
says we want to find what the text of God's Word says and tries to only include what Scripture has commanded. Whereas a normative approach, a normative principle approach, wants to approach worship far more openly and just looks to avoid the forbidden. So you can kind of, and again, our brothers and sisters in Christ can hold differing views of that. I, I once heard a story of a, a guy who was kind of preaching at a, a conference with differing um, views on, on the way they do church. And he was with a, a brother kind of co-teaching this conference. And, and they had very different styles. And as he went to teach, he was praying, and he, he, he says, Lord, we are all trying to worship you in, our, in, in different ways. My brother in his way, and I in yours. <laughs> so I, I'm saying that this is an in-family discussion. This is an in-family concern, but it is indeed important. And the, the, the second one where we sort of, the normative approach where we just try to watch out for the, the troubles, I, I find that troublesome. When they say, well, we just want to avoid the forbidden. And the reason for me that I find that particular approach troublesome is because there's a lot of things not explicitly told, that, that we are not explicitly told to avoid in our worship practices. Like, yeah, there is the very clear, hey, don't make a graven image. Okay, check. But there's a lot left open that we could say, well, you're, it doesn't say that. So I, have, I take issue with that approach. Pick, so an imperfect analogy, the reason I'm uncomfortable with it, um, with that approach, is that picture, if you would, this wonderful grass path. But you know there's a dog nearby. And... That dog does what dogs do in grass. See, the regulative approach looks to where God has specifically placed stepstones and walks on them and, and only them. And in so doing, he avoids the dog's landmines. But the normative approach, the normative approach sees that we can walk freely off of these stepstones so long as we can keep our shoes clean. But brothers and sisters, which approach is more likely to step in something, I ask? And, and there's even a newer um, pastor, uh, Dr. Vody Bauckham, he, he sort of modified this, this, this sort of paradigm and added something called the affective principle of worship, and Brian briefly shared on that as well, but that one basically takes the approach of whatever affects me or puts me in a worshipful mood must be good, and unfortunately, that's probably what, um, that what shapes and governs most evangelical American worship practices and trends, and, and that is somewhat concerning for me because we want to worship God's we want to worship God God's way the way he has prescribed because failing to do so oftentimes can bring judgment and we'll talk on that more in a moment see see God has given those stepstones and he's given prescriptions as he did with the children of Israel in Exodus as a gift 
His prescription about worship is actually a good gift, a grace to us, because avoiding uh, doing so, following that, helps us to avoid uh, incurring wrath from a holy and just God. If we read the rest of that chapter, you'll see that God is both just and merciful with the children of Israel. But so many of us, so many Christians even, unfortunately, are, can become offended at the notion of a restrictive God who would actually set boundaries about how we should worship Him and then judge people if we cross them. That is somewhat offensive in our context at times. And here we see people making a graven image of Him. Red flag. Very clear red flag, right? And then we see them attributing, I'm sorry, building an altar even. That's another red flag. They're, they're even attributing to it the deeds of Yahweh. Another red flag. And this is not them accidentally coloring outside lines. This was not that they were just, oh, well, you know, we're, we're just doing our best. This is, this is an insult on top of an injury to Yahweh because they're, they're really trying to do what they want and then just call it worship to Yahweh. And we, we see that in the text. It says they took clear action that he had told them not to, but it says that they were doing so and calling it the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They're basically taking that whole affective principle that if it makes me feel worshipful, then it must be good. They're taking that to its logical conclusion. And I'm sure that there were some there that day that said, well, you know, I know God said no graven images, and he said no other gods, but this is going to represent him. This is not a different God. This is actually just representing Yahweh. And it really helps me worship him. So no harm, no foul, right? When really what they were saying was, I don't want to wait. I want you here when I want and on my terms. That's really what they were saying. And church, this, let this never be the case for us. May this never be the case for us. May we never do to something, uh, may we never do what is familiar or preferential and just slap God's name on it. Because we want to worship God's God's we want to worship God God's way because He's not moved by our attempts to manipulate and control the situation. No matter how well intended we think our hearts are, when we neglect or add to God's ordered biblically ordered worship, we do so at our own peril. Additionally, I, I I would add that the Lord, He knew their hearts, yes. He did know their hearts. He knows our hearts. When we just try to maybe tweak things a little bit. And that should give us pause. We shouldn't be presumptuous about the grace that we have in God. That we have freedom and liberty. We should not be presumptuous about that. But it should cause us to tremble. That the God 
of justice and mercy knows my innermost thoughts, my innermost intentions, my innermost desires. The things I don't share on Facebook or with friends or polite company. He knows all those too. You know, that's why I think it's really important and I really value the fact that we have a prelude, a time to set our, our try to cl- calm and clear our minds for what we're coming to do, that we have, even have a time of confession that we can examine ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to grant repentance before we, we continue to sing praises to a God. I think that those things are vital. And Pastor Brian didn't ask me to include these things. He's like, hey, yeah, go, go sell what we're doing. No, no, I... I see these as vitally important when we want to rightly worship a holy God because they're a grace to us. They give us, um, they give us protection. They give us a gift. The second reason I think we, um, we need to be careful to worship God, God's way, is because God is more concerned about His glory and His preeminence than He is about my preference. He's more concerned about who He is and His glory than whether I'm enjoying myself. In Colossians, Paul tells us that that all things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. And and Paul in that moment is talking about, in in chapter 1, he's he's talking about the person and work of Christ, the the second member of the Godhead. And, And Paul is saying it's all about him. And Paul goes on and on, greatly detailing the extent of the work of our Lord Jesus. Similarly, God, in Exodus, greatly details the tabernacle and his worship. The worship that is, set, that is supposed to take place among his people. Both go into great exhaustive detail, almost like it matters. In those chapters, I don't read one time. If you go back and you'll read through 25 through 31 in Exodus, I don't see one time God... The Lord asking Moses his favorite color. Or, or oh, what's, what do you think would be the best species of wood to build this out of? Not one time does God ask Moses his preference. And that's because every detail, no matter how minute, every de- de- detail was to declare the glory and preeminence of God, not man. Because God's preeminence is the focus in Exodus, and it's the focus in Paul's time, and it should also be ours. Our focus must really be, I think the challenge for us is keeping him in focus. It's so easy to get distracted by programs, or, well, this is a new trend, this is a new style, this is a new... Those are good media, but that can't become the message. Our enjoyment can't be what we chase. It must be the glory of God. We must be keeping our focus on Him and not sidetracked about our preferences. Now, this is why I really love being in a very multi-generational congregation. 
because it allows me the opportunity and I would also add the fact that we have a strong uh, commitment to doctrinal richness, not just in the preaching, maybe except for today, but, but I mean in, in our music and in, in the, the liturgical elements that we include and the way we, we even put guides in the pew to teach people, hey, this is why we do what we do, because it matters. But I'm blessed that... I'm blessed, I really do count it a blessing that not every part of our worship service is made to market to my preferences. I'm going to, please don't amen this portion, but I don't, even though I primarily lead the music, I don't always enjoy or love all the music. And I can tell you, there have been times Pastor Brian and I have had conversations I'm like, hey, what do you think about this song? He's like, it's fine, I'm not a fan. Like, I'm like, oh, well that's, 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 that's interesting, the fact that he would say, yeah, it's good, it's doctrinally sound, it's just not his cup of tea. And, and, and you know, I actually think that's a good thing for me as well, because it reminds me that this, the experience that we do have here on Sunday morning is not supposed to be tailored to my every desire. It's not about my, or your pastors, or your preferences. It's about the glory of God. And and each Sunday here, I love the fact that, it, it, that each Sunday here is built not to cater to my wants, but I am confident that, that, that our body here and our elders here and our leaders here are thoughtful, though imperfect, I'm sure, but we are thoughtfully committed to worshiping God in spirit, in truth, keeping our focus on Him so that we can avoid idolatry. It's easy to just kind of slip into losing our focus on what God has declared we should do. And the reason we want to avoid idolatry is because idolatry brings judgment. We'll read that, but the, you, you can read about, you see what the Lord is, is saying about what they have done. And if you continue to read that text, you'll see both, like I said, his justice and his mercy, his judgment and his kindnesses. But let me clarify what I mean by idolatry. It's easy for us as a modern people to, to, to kind of dismiss as preposterous that people would be bowing down to a statue in our modern day. Well, I just want to say... I, it's, it's actually not that preposterous. I, I, it's not as an, um, it, it might not be common, but it's, it's not altogether... Um, I can't altogether dismiss it. And the reason why is because I work around people weekly who literally have shrines to deities or beings that we would not find too common in the American evangelical world we find ourselves. It... It happens. Paganism is actually having a revival. I mean, I laugh at it somewhat because I think a lot of guys are into the whole Viking thing because of a, bad, a stupid TV series. But I see guys that are like, invoke, you'll see people like Valhalla Coffee Brand. And it, it, again, not whatever. Drink coffee you like. Have the fashion. Wear the fashion that you want to wear. But paganism is actually having a revival. That's not broad. It's not huge. I'm not saying we're going to have the first church of paganism. 
unless you, you might think well, there's already some in town. But, but I'm saying there's no one flying that banner. You know, like we're not having the, the, a TV channel devoted to, you know, Odin or Thor or, or Wicca. I'm not saying that we're, we're going to have that, but it's a lot more common than you might realize. We shouldn't dismiss it out of hand. And I think that the reason we, we see a rise in whether it's Wicca or paganism or, 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 or anything of that nature that we think of as, well, that's old world, that's pre-enlightenment, that's, that's silly hogwash. I think the reason we're seeing that, to, to, to steal from Chesterton, you know, I think he said something on the lines of when man doesn't believe in God, he doesn't believe nothing, he believes anything. And that's, that's just the truth of the matter. Furthermore, I think it's because we as humans are created to worship and we're made for community. And when we reject God's standard of a, of a worshiping community, when we toss that aside, the desire, the need doesn't go away. So what do we do? We'll build our own worshiping community a different way. We'll fill that, we will substitute that with something. And perhaps more common and even more dangerous is maybe not some sort of, oh, well, they have that guy's following Thor or Odin. But this sort of modern idolatry of, of, of disordered desires where people, religious and non-religious, will take an otherwise good thing and place it as Preeminent. It, they will place it as their life's goal and mission to serve. They'll place it in a place it does not deserve and cannot live up to. And this can take so many forms, church. But I'd propose in America, our top three idols are either uh, sexuality or money and politics. And it's painful and painfully obvious that even though these are what's probably most prominent, all of them make promises for a hope they can never fulfill. And ultimately, whether, regardless of how we want to categorize idolatry, whether it's the, the overt with statues or the disordered desires, it really all comes down to Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 19, 20. I didn't prep to go to it. Let's read this real quick. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Go to verse 24. It says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, church, idolatry is nothing less than exchanging the truth about God for a lie. We see it in Romans. We see it's what they did in Exodus. And church, I think it's indeed what we see today in our culture and unfortunately oftentimes in our church. When God doesn't look or feel or work the way I want Him to, it can be so easy to exchange the plain truth for the lie. 
and in so doing, we welcome a judgment on ourselves. The the same way they did in Exodus, what we read about Romans, and it can happen for us today, church. Whether it's through these, in our churches, when we'll hear of scandals of abuse or, or theft, or just the forsaking of the simple gospel, the core tenets where a church can really just turn into a, a, a club of, of social causes and be devoid of the gospel. See, there indeed is going to be a day of final judgment for idolatry, especially for those outside of Christ. But I can't help but think, how often does our judgment come the same way it's spelled out in Romans and we just miss it? Where it's this sort of passive judgment where he simply lets us have what we wrongly worship. And this is why worship matters. What if we, even as believers, become so intent on worshiping God wrongly about my preferences, my desires, the things that I want? What if I get so intent on those things and He just lets it me as some sort of giving over? What sort of passive judgment might we be inviting upon ourselves when we do that, when we don't heed God's word and wisdom in regards to our worship, while we do what we, while we indeed want to be biblically and thoughtful in our worship, church? The good news is we don't have to have insecurity of legalism and perfectionism. It could be easy. You could be on this... I feel like we would tend to go the other extreme, like, well, how can I know what I'm supposed to do or what I'm allowed to do? The good news is, church, we, we have Christ. We have a high priest who invites us to come boldly, not presumptuously upon his grace, but he does say we have a high priest that we can, because of that we can come boldly before the throne of God. without becoming presumptuous because we have received grace in Christ Jesus we can we can trust his word and the wisdom therein about how we are to worship without this sort of insecurity because we have grace from our savior our high priest Jesus Christ and his grace church is is not rooted in what i deserve it's rooted in his glory and what I mean by that is, is, is if you read later in chapter 32, uh, 11 through 14, I think it's when, when Ab- uh, Moses goes to God and he's petitioning, he's interceding on their behalf. And, and what he says over and over, it's not, he doesn't petition or intercede for them based on their good deeds or, or the fact that they just, if, if God got to know them a lot better, he'd really like them. It was the fact that he was pointing to God's glory and his reputation among the nations. He kept pointing to, to Yahweh saying, remember your promise to, to, to Abram. And, and will the nations think that you've brought them out of Egypt just to let them die here? He was concerned with God's glory and reputation. He knew that he could never make a case that they deserved it. But he was bold in reminding God of his promises. Now, do you suppose when Moses says, remember, that he thinks the Lord forgot? 
No, when he tells the omniscient God to remember, he doesn't think that it slipped God's mind. No, is that Moses is trusting on the only thing he can, which is God's goodness and God's glory and God's promises. It's, it's not found in him. It's not found in the children of Israel and church. It's not found in us. He's standing on God's goodness to his people even when they don't deserve it. And, and Moses is concerned with and points to the glory of God. And guess what happens? It, then we see God relent. Then we see God show his people grace and mercy. Not because Moses, not because Moses said, well, you know, he talked God into it because these people are just so great and they really need it. No. It's by amplifying the glory of God. It's by pointing to him and reminding and being reminded of the promises of God. And church, see, his grace rooted in his glory is, 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 is a good thing for us. And I'm so thankful that it's not rooted in my goodness or, or what I deserve because... It's, it, if it depended upon my ability or your ability or your deserving, we would be lost. Church, it's not even dependent upon my need. It's far surpassing that. It's built upon the promises of God. And if there's one thing we remember is that he does not lie. I'm so thankful for that confession that we said for over and over and over the last couple years. That he does not lie. And as I was prepping for this sermon and, and reading much smarter men than me, I, I came across a, a quote by John Owen and I, I, it just struck me. I wanted to share it briefly. When I was considering the glory of God, I came across it. It says, His glory is incomprehensible and His praises are unutterable. Some things an illuminated mind may conceive of it, but what we can express in comparison of what it is in itself is even less than nothing. See, his glory is truly immeasurable, church. And the grace, the grace for sinners like you and me, well, that grace is not bound up in my ability or even my need of it. It's bound up in his glory. And that glory far exceeds what I can even fathom. Even if I get a glimpse of it, I love how he says it, it's less than nothing. My understanding, whatever I can have of it, it's less than nothing. So church, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that sinners sin. We we continually invent new ways of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And this, in turn, rightly brings God's judgment on us, whether passive or ultimate. It indeed brings judgment. But the glorious God of grace, the glorious God who is full of grace, relents from disaster that we so often keep running towards. That this God whose glory is greater than I can fathom, 
is full of grace for sinners from Exodus to today. And his grace is not only rooted in, but it's as endless as his glory. It's as endless and vast as I could ever, beyond what I could ever conceive of. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us, Lord, when we do not rightly worship you. When we fail to worship you as you've instructed, whether out of ignorance or arrogance, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, help us to remove the idols that we are so prone to chase after. But Lord, so often we are also too blind to see them. And Father, grant us a grace, not because we deserve it, but because you are good and you deserve all glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.